My name is Warren Brosey. I'm one of the ministers here at Berlin Church. We are glad to gather with you in person. Those who are online and Facebook, YouTube, or listening on the phones, we are glad to be together with you. I want to share a, a couple housekeeping items before I get into the sermon. One is a thank you note that I received from Jennifer Brewer's parents. Jennifer's one of our members here, and her parents are Steve and Janine. Van Heisen, and they write a thank you note. Dear Berlin Christian Church, Janine and I want to thank you uh, for your more than generous supply of food that you have given to us. This will help us out immensely while we deal with Janine's health crisis. Your action can only be described with words like loving, kind, good, generous, faithful discipleship, and the body of Christ in action. We are awed and humbled by your action and faithfulness. May God bless you all richly, and we thank you for your prayers as well. Uh, Jennifer's parents live in Polo, Illinois, and some of the the jam class and and American Heritage Girls group uh, sent her up with uh, a couple coolers full of food to bless her parents during this window of time. So job well done, Berlin Church, uh, just to love and do what God's called us to do. So I want to encourage you on that. Uh, I want to pray in a moment. Uh, I also want to invite you and let you know that our God Squad ministry begins again Wednesday evening. Uh, we do supper uh, at 6.15, 6.30, and then 7 to 8 is the programming, and it's targeted for preschool through fifth grade students. Uh, and that's become a really good outreach to our community uh, to really bless those young kids. And so uh, if you know of some kids that would want to participate, bring them, get them signed up, talk to Michael. We've got sign-up available both uh, online or you can come sign up when you show up Wednesday evening. Uh, but it's always a good time to show God's love to our community in some practical ways. Uh, so I want to pray for that as well. And there's just stuff going on in the world that we just need to pray. So I want to have a moment of prayer And then I'll preach. King Jesus, you're good. You're strong. You're powerful. And we call out to you, confessing our faith in you. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your word that you give to us. And I want to say a a special prayer for Steve and Janine as Janine's health is is declining. Uh, Lord, just pray for your mercy and your strength for them and for Jennifer and her family. Lord, we know there are others who are uh, in in similar health issues and uh, there's people that are recovering or or in the midst of the COVID virus. We pray for strength and healing. Uh, We pray for people who are crippled by fear because of this, this time. I pray you'd Give us all wisdom uh, and to trust in you and to be wise and not to be afraid. And Lord, I know there's people here that are waiting for test results or they've got a doctor's appointment coming soon and there's just some anxiety. I pray that we could cast that on you right now. Lord, I want to pray for our young people in our community that are within our arms reach to, to love and reach with the gospel of Jesus. Give us opportunities to show your love in action by giving them a warm meal on Wednesday nights and teaching them the eternal words of your truth. And Father, I pray that in this moment, as we encounter your word, that we'll experience you, 
We ask that you would open our eyes to the wondrous things in your word. Lord, help me do what I've been called to do in this moment, to preach your message with truth and passion and conviction and to get out of the way and let people see you, Jesus. We ask for your spiritual help to enlighten our eyes in this moment, we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to your Bibles to Psalm 119, Psalm 119. Uh, If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a a pew Bible in front of you, and you can turn to page 498, page 498. And if you've got really good eyes, I've got it all right here for you on the wall. Uh, This is all 176 verses of Psalm 119. And so you might remember a couple weeks ago, if you were here, I said, you know, there's wonderful things in God's law. And so I said, I wanted people to pick a number between 1 and 176. So we're going to do that for a couple times here. So just, and you can key, uh, you can follow along in your Bible with the number that they shout out. But I just shout out a number and I'll see if I can find it here. Two. Two. Thank you, Kevin, for being right there. Good. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. I'm going to give this one to you. Sorry, I just broke that. Here you go. This one's to your take home. So after service today, I want you to come pick a, pick a verse off of this. We've got to take these down eventually next week, so you might as well take one and come home. Um, so what did you say? 25. 25. Okay. There's 25 is right here. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Who, who said that one? You're going to have to come get this one because I can't run that far. All right, one last one. You hold that. T- five, is that what I heard? All right, come, get, come up here and get it too, buddy. Number five. Okay, oh, let's see. Oh, that my ways are, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Memorize that this week. He will, too. I guarantee you he will. So if he can do it, maybe we should, too. So I want to seriously, we put these up for a reason. I want a tangible way to experience God's Word. So after service today, come take one home, put it in your Bible, memorize it, put it somewhere where you will see it. One of the goals for this sermon today is for you to do one thing differently this week to get more of God's Word in your life. So if you do that this week, this sermon will be successful. So as I move through this moment in the Word of God today, I want you to be thinking, okay, I can do that. I will do that this week. So I want you to engage in God's Word in a specific way, something more, something different, that will just get more of God's Word into you. Would would that be better for you if you had more Bible in you? Hello, are you alive? Are you awake? Do you agree with me? Or do you think, preacher, you're stupid? Okay, so yes, God's, more of God's word will help us be better. It will help us be a better follower of Jesus. It will just, life works. Now, it doesn't mean that our problems go away, but we have some strength to deal with what life brings us. So let's get into God's word. What I love about Psalm 119, and as you heard even those verses, nearly every single one of those 176 verses has something to do with God's word, the Bible. Now you might hear it saying rules or law or precepts or decrees, but instruction somewhere in almost everyone, there's like a handful out of 176 that don't have a description of the word of God. So let's hear what this word has to say. 
Psalm 119, verse 97. And if you look right above it, there's this funky-looking, box-looking character, and it says M-E-M. That's the Hebrew letter Mem. So can you all just make this sound? Mm, mm, very, you guys are doing great. So that's, you, can pre, you just spoke Hebrew. That's the Hebrew letter M. We have one, too, in English. We call it M. It sounds a little bit similar, doesn't it? And so what's going on in each of those eight verses from 97 to 104 each start with that Hebrew letter. Let's say it again. Mmm. Mmm, good. Okay, Campbell's, right? So, God, and we're going to find out God's word is mmm, good. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Mm-mm, good. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. It's God's word for us today. Verse 103 is where I I got the idea for our sermon day. The Bible's like honey. And so I brought the biggest jar of honey I could find. I don't know where my mother-in-law finds this stuff, but we love honey at our house. And so I wanted you to have a visual of uh, what... A half a gallon of honey looks like. God's word is sweet like honey. And God's word is mm-mm good for our souls. And God's word will sustain our souls through life. And what I want to do in these eight verses is unpack four ways that God's word sustains our souls. And the first way we find how God's word sustains our souls is that God's word captures my attention. It's there in the first two verses of our text, verses 97 and 98. It says, oh, how I love your law. Could you say that, that you love the Bible? Now, most of us would say, yes, I I love the Bible, but do our actions back up what we say about the Bible? That's where the rub is, isn't it? Because we love the Bible, but man, it's just hard to make time for it, isn't it? So I want you, throughout this moment of time with God's Word, to find some way where you can get more of God's Word in your daily routine. It says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Is God's Word there in front of you, inside of you, all day long? Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. That word always? Is, could be translated, it's ever with me, it's forever. We found it last week in sermon last week from verse 89. Just go up the paragraph to verse 89. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It's forever. It's ongoing. It stands firm in the heavens. So God's word captures our attention, and I hope that we can say with the psalmist, God, I love you, and I love your word. I love this book. Not because it's a book, but because of who gave it to me. God. And you, you read down a little earlier, later, and it says that you yourself teach me out of this. 
So when we have this time with God, we're, it's not just a book, it's not just words, there's, there's the Lord, the Holy Spirit is communicating to us in this moment. It's a pretty cool thing to think about. God also challenged Joshua back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles. It's on page 169 in the Pew Bible if you need it. It's, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Moses, the great leader of, great servant of God, has died, and now Joshua has this mantle of leadership upon him. And here is God's instructions to Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 8. Keep this book of the law always, like always, on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That word for successful also could be you'll have understanding, you'll have insight, which we'll find out later in our psalm, Psalm 119. So God's word captures my attention. There's a book entitled uh, Insanity of God. Insanity of God. It's by Greg Lucas and Nick Ripkin. And they tell the story about Dimitri. And Dimitri is a follower of Jesus, and he starts sharing the Bible stories with his family. And some other people start wanting to hear the stories of Jesus, the stories of the Bible. And so they start gathering at his home, and in a sense, a church starts, but that was not his intent. And he's living in an area that was hostile to Christianity. And so people just kept saying, we want to hear the stories, we want to hear the Bible, we want to hear about Jesus. And the crowd got enough to where the authorities took note and they arrest Dimitri. Dimitri spends 17 years in prison. And during those 17 years in prison, he commits to two spiritual practices every single day. During the morning roll call in the prison, they'd all have to stand at attention there by their cells. And he would, every morning, he would sing a heart song out to Jesus. He's singing to Jesus. Well, there's 1,500 other hardened criminals. They didn't really like to hear the songs of Jesus. And so they start making noise and and yelling and throwing food and feces at him. And he just keeps singing out to Jesus. That was one practice he committed to every day. The other practice Dimitri would do every single day that he could find any time he found a scrap of paper. He would take that scrap of paper and with the stub of a pencil or a piece of charcoal, he would write every scripture verse he could remember. He would write any hymns or praises, any stories from the Bible. He would write those down, front and back, on any little scrap of paper. And then he'd fold it up and there was a pillar in his cell. It was wet. And he'd stick it up there in that pillar as his offering to God. Singing and scripture. One day, while he was walking out in the yard, he found a full sheet of paper. And there was a pencil right there beside it. And he said, I think God gave me that pencil. He took that pencil and that full sheet of paper, and he said, it sounds crazy, but I just covered that whole sheet front and back with every verse I could remember, every scripture, every story, every song. I filled it, and then I folded it up, and I put it up there in that pillar 
And he said, I just felt that that was the greatest act of offering that I could give to God from my prison cell. Dimitri sustained his soul through singing and scripture. Well, the guards would have come and they would find those papers and they would threaten him and they would beat him and they even threatened him with execution. But during those 17 years, it was singing and scripture that sustained his soul. Your word is always before me. What's it look like for us to have scripture in front of us? I've started the last two or three years just writing down a Bible verse every day or a part of a verse. And just that physical act of writing something down is just helpful, engages all those neurons. We're talking about making new pathways in our brains. And maybe it's for you. You're just going to write down a verse this week or each day this week. But I want to invite you to find some of God's word to put it in your heart because God's word will help us grow in our walk with him. So God's word captures our attention. Second way that God's word helps us is that God's word guides my thinking. God's word guides my thinking. Pick it up in verse 98 of our text. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Then verse 104, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. God's word guides my thinking. Do you see where he says, I've got more understanding? I've got more wisdom than my enemies. I have more understanding than the elders. I have more insight than all my teachers. So God's word will teach us some things in our brain. We'll start thinking differently. The quest for wisdom has been since the Garden of Eden. About a year ago, almost to the day, I, I talked about Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when we were working through our core 52. And if you remember the memory verse, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. There's been a pursuit for wisdom, to know good and bad. But the good word here is that God's word guides our thinking. Would it be nice to have some wisdom today? To be able to know what to do and then put it into practice? Wisdom isn't the same as knowledge. There's some skill involved. You've got to follow through on what you know, what you believe. Could we use some more wisdom it sounds like this writer is younger because he talks about he's got insight more than his teachers. He has more understanding than the elders, those who are older than him. Can I just say I'm proud of our young people because these kids love Jesus and they're teaching us adults and things. And in some ways, we probably should be following their lead. So God's word guides our thinking. There was another young person that had some wisdom. You can go to your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It's on page 833 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Young person I'm talking about is Jesus. He's 12 years old. His family comes to Jerusalem for the big Passover festival, this big holiday. And then Mary and Joseph and their family, they go home. And in Luke chapter 2, they realize Jesus isn't here with us. 12 years old. 
three days it takes them to figure out, okay, we need to go back. And so they've journeyed back to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, Mary and Joseph returned back to Jerusalem. After three days, Mary and Joseph found Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone heard him who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. What I love about the Psalms is that they are Jesus' prayers. Jesus grew up reading these Psalms. This Psalm 119 would have been something Jesus would have learned. And as he's age 12, getting ready to be a son of the law soon, he would have had some of this. And so he's living this out, and the Psalms are also able for us to sing to Jesus. But do you think Jesus had more understanding than his teachers? Sure looks like it, doesn't it? Because he's asking the teachers questions, and people are amazed at his understanding, his insight, his wisdom, his answers. How old is he? Twelve years old. The elders, his parents, didn't even understand exactly what he was saying. That's what verse 50 says. So he's got more understanding than his parents, his elders. Did Jesus have more understanding than his enemies? I don't know, but I have a hunch that some of the people who were there that day, those teachers, 20 years later, they'd still be in Jerusalem in those leadership posts. And they'd be going over to Pilate and they would say, crucify him, crucify him. Did Jesus have more understanding than his enemies? God's word guides our thinking. My friend Tom Ewald, and he preaches a lot of times when they would close the church service out, and one of the final words, he would tell the church, go do something this week that only a Christian would do. I want you to think on that. Do something this week that only a Jesus follower would, would do. That takes some thinking, doesn't it? Because let's be honest, followers of Jesus, we should act and think differently in, than people that don't love Jesus. Would you say that there should be a difference? Now, we don't need to be weird or mean or crass about it, but we should have some kind of defining difference between us and just those who just live life because they're following whatever they want to. And so when you get into God's Word, it's going to guide our thinking and I think we'll be able to love our neighbor and our enemies better. A third way God's word is sweet and sustains us is that God's word directs my path. God's word directs my path. Psalm 119, back in verse 101, says, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. Verse 104, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. We run across this word path 
five different times in this Psalm 119. We'll see it again later in verse 128 where he says, because I consider all your precepts, your precepts are right, I hate every wrong path. So God's word will guide our steps. It will guide our path. And this is a prayer he prays there. In verse 101, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I may might obey your word. Some of the old translations where it says, I've kept my feet from every evil path, I have refrained my feet from evil. And this carries the idea of, I've imprisoned my feet, I have put fetters, I've put chains on my feet so that I won't go down the wrong path. How many of you put shoes on today? Let's show of hands, quick show of hands. I think everyone did, unless you're my wife. She'd put flip-flops on today. Okay, so what would it look like if in your daily routine when you put your shoes on, you just would say, Lord, keep my feet from evil. Lord, keep my, keep my feet where they need to go. Direct my steps today. And you'd be quoting scripture, Psalm 119, verse 101. Maybe as you're teaching your children how to tie their shoes, Just say, Jesus, help these feet to go where they need to go. Keep these little feet safe where they go. Direct my path. God's word directs our path. It keeps us on the right path. Jesus had something to say about the path as well. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it's on page 788 in the Pew Bible, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching and he's, he's kind of rounding home and, and coming, rounding third and coming home here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 13. Talks about two paths or two roads. Matthew 7, 13, the words of Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. God's word directs our steps and what I love about it there in verse 102, I have not departed from your laws for you yourself have taught me Have you ever thought about when you're opening your Bible that God's speaking to you? That there's this relationship between you and the creator of the universe? And that God wants to teach us some things? God wants to teach us how to be better parents and a better spouse? God's word can teach us how to be a better student? How to deal with that cranky coworker or supervisor? God's word can help you when you're facing those test results that you're not sure you want to hear or when that crisis moment comes. God's word can teach us and guide us on his good path. We go down to Psalm 119, verse 103, and we find our fourth way that God's word is sweet and sustains our souls. It's that God's word delights my soul. God's word delights my soul. It's in 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweet, sweet, sweet. God's word is sweet, and so it is mmm, mmm, good. 
You want a commentary on Psalm 119? It's Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I read this this morning in my one-year Bible plan. Psalm 19, verse 10. God's word is more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. So I brought this big half-gallon jar of honey. I'm going to work out just holding this thing. How many of you like honey? That's good because that's good for you. Did you know that? Like, I don't think if you did all this in one sitting, that would not be good. But I like honey. I just do. Um, there's something sweet about it. And it's, it's healthy. It really is. Um, there, it's, it, there's some kind of chemical property in honey that if it's kept in the right conditions, will last forever. Like, they've found honey in those Egyptian tombs that are thousands of years old. And they were in airtight containers, and they popped it open like, it's still good. It's amazing. So God's word is eternal. It's valuable. It's, it's firm. It's sweet to the taste. Uh, God's word, the, the honey is good for the environment. You know that because of bees. You need to have bees to pollinate crops. People say that you know, there's about $20 billion worth of agriculture that bees help pollinate. So if you have bees... Stay with them, don't get them stung, but they're good for the environment and for the economy because they're the honey they produce. I've always thought before I die, it'd be fun to try and raise some bees. I think it'd be fun to try and do that. I hear it's a lot of work, uh, but I got a friend, found a friend today that's got some bees, and so I'm excited to learn some more about that. Uh, but there's, there's, there's work. Uh, but there's also some like health benefits to honey. It's good for you, and it's like good medicine, and People said it's helped like with ulcers and things and sore throat. Isn't it when you have a sore throat? Some honey, hot tea, feels good. Uh, so what would it look like if you had some honey this week? Maybe put in a hot tea or get a biscuit that's nice and warm and a little butter that's about half melted but still kind of solid enough and then put some honey on that, have a big taste of it. And read your Bible or have a Bible verse playing while you're engaging that sense of taste and see that, yeah, God's word really is sweet to my soul. I was in Indonesia in 2010 and had a you know, long plane, ride, plane rides. I don't even remember how many it was, three, I think, to get to the other side of the world. And you get there after flying and you know my ears are hurting, kind of have that sinusy headache pressure thing i wasn't like sick but i just was like Ugh. you ever have those feelings and so about day two or three we're there in indonesia and we visit this family and we're sitting on the floor because that's what you do in indonesia and the family we're visiting they raised bees and they said would you like some honey i'm like i love honey and so they got some honey that you know they just harvested i'm sure and they mixed it into a, just a glass of water and they gave it to, to me. And I drank that. I don't know how quick it was, if it was instant or minutes or hours, but within the day, I was feeling better. And I think it was credit to the honey, local hospitality, grace of God. I've had a couple of those instances where you try the local food and God works some pretty cool things out. So there's something about uh, just kind of adventuring and kind of accepting that hospitality too. So God's word is sweet and it's so, so good 
for our souls, and it really can delight in us. Remember Dimitri? It's in the prison 17 years. They call him out, the guards do. Today's execution day, Dimitri. They start to lead Dimitri out through the cells to the place of execution. And as they lead Dimitri through those criminals, all 1,500 of them, they start singing. They sing one of the songs that Dimitri sang every single day. Can you imagine what it would sound like 1,500 hardened criminals in a prison singing songs to Jesus? And these guards, they were struck with terror. I mean, you just hear this cacophonous sound of worship in this prison guard system, and they're just like, what's going on? And they step back, and they ask Dimitri, who are you? And he stands up straight and proud. He said, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus is his name. The guards took him back to his cell. They did not kill him that day. In fact, they released him eventually. He got to go back home to his family and his friends. You can read about it in the insanity of God. But two practices sustained his soul through those 17 years of prison. Singing and scripture. So here's what I came today to say, church. The songs of Scripture sustain our souls. God loves you. And we're here for you. And if God's stirred in your heart, we'd like to pray with you before you leave today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come get ready. And Joe and Tara McCann are going to be down front. If you want to have somebody pray with you before you leave, if you want me to pray with you uh, on your way out, I'll be out in the lobby and visit with you. But I hope that you will make a point today to decide, I'm going to find some way to get more of God's Word in my soul. If you've got questions about what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus or to take your next step or to be uh, baptized, we'd like to visit with you before you leave today.